This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Darsha Karia, Director of Mechanical Circulatory Support Devices in heart, the Heart Failure Program at University Hospital Augusta in Georgia. Dr. Karia, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, I am uh, what they call an advanced heart failure cardiologist. So what that means is that, uh, hey, um, I went through training, uh, medical school, internal medicine residency, then a cardiology fellowship. And then I did an extra fellowship for advanced heart failure and cardiac transplant, where we learn how to take care of patients uh, who undergo these advanced therapies, such as heart transplant and mechanical support or artificial hearts. Now, I did that a long time ago um, in 2005 and have been practicing since then um, at various places and um, having different titles. Right now, I'm the medical director um, for advanced heart failure, uh, LVAD, and uh, mechanical security support uh, at University Hospital in Augusta. I also um, the sort of uh, uh, and the medical director for the heart failure center. Uh, we also have something what we call service line directorships, and um, I uh, hold the portfolios for cardiovascular research, critical care, and electrophysiology. In addition to uh, advanced heart failure, we also take care of patients with cardiac amyloid, pulmonary hypertension. We also do cardio oncology. We have one of the largest programs for uh, remote monitoring of heart failure patients. And um, most recently, I'm putting together a COVID heart clinic, which is a joint collaboration with non-invasive cardiologists and interventional cardiologists so as to sort of um, take care and develop expertise of this newly emerging um, mandate to take care of patients um, who have heart problems post-COVID. Got it. Wow, that sounds fascinating. I look forward to hearing more about all those topics as well. Now, what are your top three biggest issues in cardiology today? So I think the, the number one thing is obviously, which has really um, had a deep impact for almost everybody. It's the healthcare economy or the pandemic economy. Um, you know, a, a lot of hospitals um, were, were driven down um, in terms of uh, uh, what they could and could not do because of, of COVID um, and uh, the number of uh, patients uh, coming in with um, uh, stopping of elective surgeries and so on and so forth. And there was a trickle-down effect. So there was a huge impact on healthcare workers uh, doctors and nurses and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, that, that as we emerge out of uh, the pandemic, hopefully um, things get better, but um, we certainly face a lot of pressures from that. The second one I would say, and I think one of the most important things um, is that in cardiology, we have a very um, mature but aging workforce. Um, over 31% um, of cardiologists are over 61 years of age. Um, and uh, what traditionally has been the case where 
um, the number of new cardiology uh, fellows graduating and coming into the workforce was about the same as the number of cardiologists retiring, which is approximately about 500 cardiologists um, sort of retiring and 500 new cardiologists coming into the workforce. I think with the pandemic and with the bullish run of, of uh, the stock market, two things happened. I think a lot of us um, sort of realized and faced with immediate mortality um, and and uh, and a crisis where uh, we were we were looking at the mirror and saying and taking stock of our lives. Um, and then the second part is that now the last two years, 401k portfolios have padded up by 30% or more. And uh, a lot of the older cardiologists have, um, you know, accelerated their plans for retirement. So what we are now facing with is um, sort of a depleting cardiology workforce. Um, we've had a huge attrition in terms of nurses. Um, so I think that's our second major issue. And a third uh, impending health crisis is um, the post-COVID syndrome or the long COVID syndrome. It looks like around um, in, in the U.S., we have at least had about 32 million confirmed cases of COVID. And as we are seeing more and more of research coming out, it looks like at least 10 to 30% of these patients, even the ones with mild or asymptomatic COVID infections have cardiac problems uh, afterwards. And so if you're looking at even the confirmed COVID patients, which are over 32 million, you're looking at 10 million people with some cardiac issues. We just don't have the bandwidth to take care of all these people. So I think all those basically sort of combine uh, to to form a perfect storm uh, where we're going to have to climb out of this uh, with a lot of work. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting to kind of have that mix of what's happening, you know, as, as we emerge a bit from the pandemic and how long COVID it will continue to affect patients going forward. But at the same time, you know, looking at the workforce and um, some of the different factors driving early retirements or, or other workforce issues, it's definitely, um, you know, will be kind of a fascinating space to see evolve. And, you know, what do you really see coming over the next 18 months or so? So, you know, I think um, one of the biggest things is market consolidations. I think um, we're seeing more and more rural and small hospitals closing. We're seeing um, a, a lot of hospital systems that are that survived the pandemic um, growing and sort of consolidating um, to, to take over other smaller struggling hospitals. Um, so I think that um, I think is is what's coming. Um, the second part is just pressures. You know, um, uh, throughout the pandemic, um, we had uh, a lot of cuts. You know, um, a lot of major hospital systems um, stopped providing certain services, um, uh, stopped uh, certain benefits such as 401 matching, etc. Uh, there were pay cuts. So there's totally a lot of 
pressures on the system and the providers. Um, and so I think uh, coming down, uh, we're going to be uh, seeing uh, sort of an acceleration towards um, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, consolidation towards um, either uh, a healthcare strategy that has to be national and political uh, and, a, and a national debate to say, how do we do this? Because clearly um, the pandemic uh, sort of uh, uh, showed us the flaws in the, in the system on a national basis. Got it. Yeah, it, it's just, yeah, it's fascinating to think about um, how we'll really overcome some of those challenges that we came in terms of being able to communicate and coordinate care and deliver care when needed um, in crisis situations. So that's definitely makes a lot of sense. I know consolidation is really on top of a lot of people's minds in healthcare today as well. Um, you know, given that, what are you excited about right now and what makes you nervous? So I think um, the, the, the most important thing is, is uh, seeing that we still have, despite all of this, despite, you know, all the doom and gloom we, we talked about and, and what we see on, you know, on TV every single day, you see passionate folks coming to work every single day. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of us. You know, we 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 walk in every single day to take care of these folks, um, and and that's amazing. And 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 it's great to see the passion and um, the ability of of people to look beyond themselves, find it deep in their heart to care for these patients, and that I think is the most amazing thing that came out of this is, you know, you go through fire and, you know, uh, the gold gets purified. So we do have um, so many good um, healthcare workers and they stepped up and we have this, we have seen them, um, we have um, kept them, we recognize talent. And so it's great to see that we just need to build on it. We need to get more people. Um, to be more interested in this field. I think the second part is um, what this pandemic forced us to do is um, to look at alternative methods of healthcare delivery, um, like telemedicine, you know? So um, what used to be uh, a simple phone calling and checking on a patient has now graduated up to a, a video call. And then now, um, for example, in our clinic, we have patients with implantable monitors and we're combining a video visit with looking at some of the patient's um, data that's telling us about the pressures in their heart and lungs and things that um, you know normally otherwise we would only have if the patient was admitted in the hospital. So. Um, We've got a lot of data coming at us and these visits sort, uh, sort of um, taking it to the next level. And then the next step is to combine it with AI. We're going to be doing things at our level best. And so I think those are exciting times 
um, a, a lot of good stuff coming down the pike in regards to devices as well as medications. We have just the past month, we have had a brand new trial um, in the care of uh, patients with uh, kidney disease. We, we never had a medication in the past 20 years do something what this medication uh, is proven to do. So we're, we're forging ahead in the science of medicine with new things, um, with the technology coming through, with 5G coming at our doorstep. I think we're going to be delivering the highest levels of care, and it's, it's a lot to be excited about. That's great to hear. And, you know, from, is your impression that most other heart doctors are also excited about this idea of bringing more technology into the field and the type of information and data and abilities that you'll have with that technology? Or is that a point of um, reticence as well among some? I think it's, it's important to sort of um, make it easy. And, uh, you know, yes, the the amount of data coming at us from every single side is a lot. Um, and the question is, how do we filter that out, make systems of care better so that um, you're getting data that makes uh, an incremental benefit in taking care of these patients versus just useless data coming at you um, that you just spend time sifting through. So I think those are things that are going to be very important, but this is a generation that grew up, uh, you know, using uh, computers and, and data. And so I, I think it's going to be uh, way more easier to do this uh, moving forward um, and, and sifting through, and especially with, with um, this deep learning technologies that are coming through, um, I think it, the future is, is amazing. Got it. That's, that's really great to hear. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the first thing I would say is give it your best. You know, anything you do, always try to put your best foot forward. Always try to, to, to give it your best. Second one, take breaks. You know, you, you, if, if you're sick or not a hundred percent, you're not able to give it a hundred percent to take care of other folks. So you got to take care of yourself. The third one is talk. I think you got to talk to patients. You have to take the time to talk to your staff. You have to talk to your industry partners and you have to talk to your administration. You have to understand what pressures other people are going through to be able to understand how to take care of your own pressures and collaborate and figure out a way forward. So I think it's really, really important if you're going to be a good leader to understand um, the folks around you and the milieu you're living in. And then finally, understand the business of medicine. You know, um, just to be a good clinician doesn't make you the best healthcare leader. You have to be a good clinician and understand the business of medicine, merge those two to make it a win-win situation. I can give you an example. Um, uh, for example, uh, we looked at our patients who uh, were uh, frequent flyers, so as to speak, who came 
uh, to the hospital for admissions for exacerbations. And we realized that these were patients who did not have means um, or socioeconomically um, uh, a little bit uh, less than perfect. And we developed an indigent clinic. We got a grant from the hospital um, to provide free medication to these patients. Um, and it improved the health of these patients. Um, we were able to take care of them, keep them out of the hospital, and we were able to better serve our community. And so I think part of it is, and the, and the hospital understood that doing that was good business. Um, so there are so many places where you can do better um, by just understanding how things work. So those are my things. Give it your best, take breaks, talk to people, and understand the business of medicine. Dr. Karia, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.